We're all looking forward to watching Iowa football this fall. Uh, let's just all make sure that we know where to watch Iowa football this fall. We'll have more on that for the next 60 minutes here at uh, Hawkeyes Live right here at the Voice of College Football 106th edition. And uh, Corey Brad is here, of course. He makes this show go. You can join him for Iowa football coverage and uh, basketball, everything going on with Iowa athletics on a regular basis there at from the Hawkeye of the Storm. Hey, Corey. Mark, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing good. It's been a busy few days. Um, back kind of my home base now. I'm down some equipment still, but get that restored here this evening. And uh, next couple of weeks, you're going to fly by. Um, it's already like halfway through August, so this is how it goes. Um, but it's exciting and lots of, I know you and I both have lots of content that we're, we're having in the back of our minds of like, I got to get this out, but I'm running out of time. And so uh, I'm sure both of our audiences will have plenty to feast on over the next couple of weeks. And today, today should be fun given media day and kids day and what we've been able to kind of experience in Iowa city. Yeah. So what is your biggest takeaway from media day? Biggest takeaway from media day specifically. Um, just a lot of optimism around the offensive line. Uh, that would be my biggest takeaway from media day. Um, that's Kirk. That's George Barnett. That's the players. And you kind of have to read between the lines on these things. Obviously, George Barnett, I posted a, a, the interaction I had with him. I guess this is a good opportunity to plug my channel. I posted that that interview on my channel here earlier today. So if you haven't listened to George Barnett, it's about 10 minutes with George Barnett. And he just he, he used the term very excited about the room. Um, uh, he, he likened it to you know last year kind of being a, a JV level offensive line room <laughs> jv and, level well jv and the if you're gonna compare that to j you know obviously not high i'm not saying he thinks it's a high school jv level i'm just saying he he's saying this is like a varsity line this year he thinks he's gonna have a varsity line this year whereas last year was kind of like a jv level line i know that's kind of a weird illustration that's but a that's a harsh knock on the offensive line well it yeah, I mean, he he didn't he didn't shy away from admitting that uh, the line has been underperforming. But just how he articulated where he sees this room elevating this year was eye opening. And and Kirk was not as positive. He, he was not like this last year. Kirk did not talk about the offensive line like he's been talking about it. Now, I recorded a podcast with good friend Tom Caker from HawkeyeReport.com Sunday night, and. Tom actually made an interesting comment, and I don't know if this – I'm not saying this is true, and I, he, he certainly doesn't know this either. But he says, you know, I've almost been wondering if Kirk is kind of trying to speak this into existence. You know, because he's been very positive about the O-line behind closed doors, in you know, in the public eye. And I hope that's not the case. I doubt it is. My guess is that he does feel positive. Um, and common sense would tell you that this O-line, you know, a lot of these guys are in years three and four now, that it should be a lot better. Uh, so I will say watching the spring game, if we want to kind of shift tension as it relates to the offensive line to Saturday, you know, when you're there watching every play and I'm trying to record as much footage as I can and kind of take notes as I'm going. And we were on the other side, you know, fans were on the one side and media got to sit on the other side. So we kind of, we, we were able to roam through the stands and, and kind of follow the action as it went, which was nice. As I'm watching it, I'm just thinking to myself, it's just so hard to read between the lines on these things. 
And, it, you know, when Tom and I were talking about it after the, the practice, we kind of said the same thing. It's like every year, and he's been doing it for a lot, a lot longer than I have, every year he's covered the beat, the defense has dominated the offense in these open scrimmages, even in 2002 when Iowa's offense was really good. So it's just hard to tell. Like I watched back and I, I went back and, and watched, I, we actually condemned, we, we basically got footage from the, almost the entire practice. And if people haven't seen it, go on my channel from the Hawkeye of the storm and I've condensed highlights in there. And I may even release um, the full condensed series of plays. I mean, it's like almost a half hour in total, but uh, when you watch it back, I watched part of it last night. The O line did not look very good. <laughs> I mean, like there were guys, Brian Allen Jr. That dude is, and I know you have no idea who that is, Mark, and that's fine. That dude looked like I don't even know. Like again, what does it tell us more about the offensive line or Brian Allen Jr.? He looked like a man amongst children on Saturday. Uh, second year defensive end. Um, they were he was added late in the twenty two class, and what is one of the few guys enrolled early last year. By all accounts, had a good spring, but we didn't see anything from him last year. And they were so deep, and they're going to be deep again this year. But well, the way he played Saturday, I have a hard time seeing him not playing this fall. Um, and they were down some other guys. Cooper DeGene sat out. Nico Ragaini sat out. Um, Ontario Thompson sat out. Jeff Bowie was out with an injury. Um, obviously, Aaron Blom wasn't there, and I, I don't think we're going to probably see him uh, with that betting stuff. And uh, there were some other guys that they're rumored to be involved with the betting that did play. And we're waiting for answers from the NCAA. Kirk is waiting for answers from the NCAA. But I would just say overall from the weekend, the verbiage got me more excited for the O-line. But until I see it in a game, I'm going to remain skeptical. Um, they have more experienced guys. I'm a little bit concerned about Dejon Parker. He's been dealing with some swelling in the knee that he had operated on in the offseason. That's a little concerning because they need him at right tackle. Um, but everybody else seems pretty healthy up there. And um, – they seem really solid at, at center and at left tackle. We'll just see about the other three spots. So your interaction with Brian Ferentz, uh, you asked two questions. Uh, everybody check out the the post. The, the video is posted on from the Hawkeye of the Storm. I gave it a look. Uh, we, we had a conversation about it or uh, a back and forth DM about it. So what... Let's let's start out with your take on Brian's answers to your questions. Well, the first question I asked Brian was uh, about waist downs. Um, and if you go back and look at the data, um, you'll see that Iowa not only didn't take advantage of waist downs last year, they didn't really even try to take advantage of waist downs last year. So you can count on one hand how many times you could argue Iowa tried to take advantage of waist downs. And so actually, when I brought up one thing, and, and I understand the, the pushback and the disagreement from Brian. I am not an OC. He asked me, you know, and, and I have no problem, by the way, with answering a question with a question, right? I think it's a skill to be able to do that. So I have no problem interacting with him that way. But he asked me, what's your definition of a waist down? And I told him my definition of a waist down, second and one, second and two, second and three, third and one, obviously not always third and one, but third and one can be a waist down. If you determine you're going to go for it on fourth down, third and one, is looked at as a waste down by a lot of play callers out there. And he basically said, I, I have a hard time ever seeing third and one as a waste down. Well, I disagree with that. I don't, again, uh, difference of opinions. He's the OC. I'm not. So I disagree with that. Um, but I was actually doing kind of doing him a, a favor in crediting him for taking advantage of a, 
third down and one or two at times, because if you don't count third and one as a waste down, they, t- they try to take advantage of even less waste downs last year. And for the people that say waste downs are, you know, something that the average amateur football fans, that's a term they use. It's not actually a football term. That's ridiculous. Uh, Brian even acknowledged that Bill Belichick, uh, you know, in his experience in new England, the Belichick uh, was a proponent of waste downs. So waste downs are a real th- thing. Yes, it's a microcosm of, I think, a larger, for me, it's a microcosm of a larger attitude and dysfunction that I was had with play calling. So I just asked him the question, look, you know, you've had an off season to make adjustments. I mean, I didn't say this, but they were, th- there was so much talk nationally about Brian Ferentz needing to be fired. He wasn't. So obviously one would think you're going to be looking at everything and looking to see where we can make changes with this offense with play calling all this stuff. And I just, you know, I respect his answer. I just don't agree with it. Um, He basically said that that's not something they look at specifically. That's just not how they coach. You know, he said sometimes, you know, some people call plays that that way. We don't. That's concerning because an offense that's not, uh, that's already lacks big playability. You better be taking advantage of second and one, second and two, second and three. Um, Because you have a hard enough time taking advantage of it on other downs. So that's odd. I, I, I just, and maybe that's just his way of not wanting to really acknowledge his mistakes or acknowledge a problem, maybe behind closed doors. Maybe that is something they, they will look at or they have looked at. Um, I also asked him about mentorship. I said, you know, who have you relied on over the years as OC here, as far as people you could consult with that would help you better your craft as a play caller. And I brought up the fact that there have been so many people, not just Don Patterson, but you think about Chuck Long, you know, Heisman finalist came through this program, loves Iowa, um, ended up being an offensive coordinator and a head coach at the college level. He's a guy you could consult with. There's people at the NFL level that Brian knew at New England. Uh, Bill Snyder would have been a guy that, and I don't know, Bill, I don't, I doubt Bill has much contact with any with, with Brian, but I, I have no doubt knowing uh, what I know about Bill Snyder, that if, Brian called him up. Bill would probably talk to him like stuff like that. And that's kind of what I was getting at. And he said, well, there's lots of people. Um, and I just asked when he got done, he hadn't named anybody specifically. So that's why I said, well, can you give me someone specifically? Uh, and he asked me, you know, how long have you been covering us? And I said, well, I've been doing the show for a couple of years. He said, uh, have you ever heard me name drop? And he said, I'm not about to. So he just name dropped like two minutes prior with Bill Belichick and Rex Ryan with a different question, but he, he didn't want to name it. So that's his prerogative. I, I don't know what, you know, I, I, I had some people say, well, I think he probably knows who you are, Corey, and you've been critical. I don't think Brian's listening to my show. Okay. Now I, I wouldn't be surprised if Brian knows who that, that Don does a show with me. Like I'm, I don't think Don's spinning here. Brian's not spending time listening to my channel, but I, I have no question that he probably knows that Don does a show with, with me. And he, I know Don does a show with a radio station there in, in, Iowa City. So, you know, who knows? I'm not going to dissect the guy's motives. I know some people were upset about it. I didn't take offense to the the answers he gave me. Uh, I didn't think he was being condescending, but some people did. Um, I, I go back to my what, what I said to you several weeks ago. My hope with this team and my thought that this team can win 10, 11 games potentially has nothing to do with Brian Ferentz, and it never has. Um, it's got to do with who they brought in at quarterback, um, the running back room, the tight end room, the defense, the special teams units, it's got nothing to do with play calling. Um, now, hopefully Cade can have 
is having some sort of an influence. Hopefully John Budmeyer can and has had some sort of an influence on Brian and how they call plays, but we're probably not going to know that until we actually see it on game day because Brian's not going to admit to that. Well, it's one thing to call good plays uh, based on the personnel you have and based on game situation. There's also a level uh, to this that involves the offensive coordinator's ability to scout and his staff because he did, Brian did mention this about there being a lot of input from everyone. It's a team effort, but uh, being able to evaluate and scout the opponent to know where they should be attacked. All right. This is what I read out of this response. The the first response uh, concerning the waist downs. So the term waist down has a negative connotation to it. Actually, it should have a positive connotation to it. Basically, there, if you run a competent offense, you have an opportunity to hit the defense for a big play because you are extremely confident that you can get the first down on the next play. Correct. Because the odds tell you that you should be able to 75% of the time, 95% of the time, depending on the, the, the situation and the defense you're playing. And for the record, he Mark, just real quick before you continue with your thought, for the record, Brian made a point of saying um, every play matters. So his his mindset on it is is the negative connotation that yes, we're, we're wasting a play. Down. We're wasting a play. And that's like you said, that's that couldn't be more opposite of how I look at it. And I know how other offensive minds look at that. The further any team throws the ball downfield, the less likely they are to complete a pass. The issue is that Iowa's, and I don't have the stats in front of me, but I'm guessing that their rated completing downfield passes is much lower than what it should be. Okay, so his his answer to me was extremely telling. I, I know that um, I don't want to represent uh, our conversation wrong. You d- you didn't think that there was a whole lot there. You you felt as though he talked a long time, but he didn't say much. Yeah, I mean, he talked about his philo- the philosophy of protecting the football and playing conservative football. To me, it doesn't have any, that has nothing to do with a waist down. <laughs> I, I think he said a lot there. Okay, what, what this is what it told me. Number one, if you timed it, he talked more about Iowa's defense than he talked about the offense. Well, maybe there's a place there to talk about complementary football. But Iowa has taken complementary football to an extreme. You know, that's that's it, it's good to know the strengths and the abilities of the other units, and therefore you play to your strengths. So complementary football is a thing that is a valuable thing. But I think Iowa's just taken it to again to an extreme when the offensive coordinator is spending more time discussing a legitimate strategical question about offensive football. And he's talking about his defense and how good the defense is, which is basically saying, we don't want to screw things up. We're my job is not to screw the game up because we've got an exceptional defense. That's a horrible mentality to have. And again, I want to redefine for, for the average football fan that doesn't know what we're talking about. Okay. When it's second down and one. Okay. You have a couple options, right? You have more than a couple options. But in general, you could take a shot or maybe run the, run a fullback dive or 
run, run a play for a yard or two and get that first down and move the chains. So you may say, well, take the first down, right? Average fan would think that. But the, your offensive coordinator should not be an average fan. And I'm not saying he is. He's a very intelligent, very wise as it relates to football. But, again, the idea here is take a shot on second and one. Because even if it's incomplete, it's third and one. You should absolutely be able to pick up one yard on third and one. And if it's four down territory, why would you not look at second and one as a waste down? Like I say, I look at third and one as a waste down and four down territory. But the, it's, it's just like this divide. So, you know, I, I guarantee you, Jim Harbaugh, I don't watch Michigan. I mean, we got John's comment up on the, the screen. Does Michigan take advantage of waste downs? I guarantee they do. I don't watch them enough to be able to say, oh, yeah, they take advantage of waste downs. I guarantee they take advantage of waste downs. So I want to hear this hogwash about how, you know, waste downs are, you know, some guy commented that on my channel. Uh, you know, waste downs is just a term that some casual fans with their baseball caps on backwards use. That, that's just stupid. That's not, that's just, uh, you want to say that, that's fine. But you probably got your baseball cap on backwards while you say it. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I just, like I said, I, I just, uh, it was odd. It was an, a little bit of an odd exchange, but I, I like I say, I didn't take uh, exception to the answers. I didn't agree with them. I don't feel uncomfortable by the exchange. Um, it, it, it is what it is. And I don't think Brian was being taken a personal shot at me by asking me how long I have been covering them. I, I you know, it's just how he communicates. Sometimes he comes across, sometimes he comes across that way. And, uh, you know, it's too bad because his dad does not. For, I mean, very rarely. We've talked about when Kirk has kind of been condescending, but it's so rare. And he's always talking to the media. He's such a nice guy to talk. He really is. Like, just like talking to him after we talked to him Friday. Then we got to talk to him after kids day. And he's got media all around him. And I just standing there thinking, no offense to Brian, but man, Kirk carries himself well. And he's been doing it for 20 some. I get it. But he's, he's just so down to earth and easy to talk to and real. I'm going to defend Brian in this way and also in a certain way, just uh, maybe explain why it's easy for Kirk. Kirk is the most popular guy in the state. He runs the state. So, and, and he's earned that. He's earned that uh, to a large extent. Brian has to know. He knows he runs an awful offense he knows that he's been unsuccessful. He knows that almost all the questions that he has asked, even if they're asked in a polite and non-threatening way, that they are they are targeted at getting him to explain why they're so bad on offense and what he's going to do to change that. Yeah, but even when he started off as the OC here and he was the promised child, okay, he still went about a lot of the, the interaction with the media this way. Um, maybe it's gotten worse. And I have no doubt that you're right on that, but he just communicates differently than Kirk. I, I, I don't know how else to explain it. I, I, and I hope for the sake of this team, I've said this several times, I just hope that he's, he is willing to take a back seat to the expertise that Cade McNamara brings over from Michigan. And a person may say, well, why would, how can you say that about a college football coach that he should take a back seat to one of his college players? Well, let's remember, Brian's been OC here since what, 2017? Cade's been in college 
being coached up at Michigan since like what 2018 or 19. It's like it's not that big of a difference. And if you talk about good experience versus bad experience, you know, we could have that discussion too. So I, I don't know. And I, and I did see somebody ask me if I <laughs> talked to John Budmeyer Friday. I did not. Um, but uh, the guy that was working with me as part of my crew Friday did did get some uh, video footage of John. So I'll, I'll be getting that up on the channel uh, here in the coming days. And I have no doubt Brian, uh, John Budmeyer is, is intelligent as well. Um, however, he's not there calling plays on Saturdays. At least he's not supposed to be. So it just ultimately still comes back to, I, I think, the dynamic between Brian and Cade and, and Kirk. I mean, Kirk does – I'm not in any ways saying that he – micromanages play calling. I know some people think he does, but it does come down to how they're, how they approach things. Cade got dinged up Saturday, Mark, and ever the whole stadium kind of, people didn't see it right away. Uh, in fact, I didn't see it right away. And Tom didn't, I was sitting with Tom, Tom didn't see it right away. But uh, one of his guys came over and, and said, Hey, did you see Cade just went to the locker room? And so De- he never came back I and mean, he came back on the field, never played again. Deacon Hill got most of the snaps after that. Marco Linez, Got some snaps as well, um, as did uh, legacy uh, quarterback Tommy Pahalski. But um, that is going to be the biggest thing. If Cade, if Cade gets hurt at some point during this season, it changes the outlook on the year. No offense to Deacon Hill. No offense to Marco Linez. But it's just, I don't know that when I said this to Tom on Sunday, uh, Saturday as well, I don't know that we've ever seen a more indispensable player in the history of Kirk Ferentz at Iowa than will be Cade McNamara this year. And you look at that, and that should make – like, quarterback's always going to be indispensable. Um, and one of the most important players, probably the most important player on your team. But, like, last three years, would anybody have argued that Spencer Petrus was one of the most indispensable players? Now, two years, I think I did say, because he's the quarterback, he's one of the most indispensable players. The last year, like, people wanted Padilla to <laughs> Even though Padilla wasn't very good, they wanted Alex to – end up coming in for, and they wanted Joe Labus to play for, for Spencer. And we saw in the bowl game, there wasn't really that much of a difference uh, to some extent, but I just wonder how the season changes. The outlook changes if Cade is not healthy. The other part of this is we're acknowledging the fact that he is incredibly important to the hopes and dreams of the season. And he's coming off a serious knee injury. So that's also, I mean, that's a bit of a concern when he rushed, he scrambled on the one play and just collapsed, just fell. And, Kirk, and according to um, what Tom heard later on Saturday, it was a quad, which, you know, you're just happy it wasn't ligament-related, it wasn't knee-related. But, you know, that's that's just going to be one of those things. We see these non-contact things. Joe Burrow, just the other day, I mean, these these random things that happen, you, you can't predict it, and you hope it doesn't. But if it does, boy, things change a lot. Um, anyways, we, we can get off that if you want, Mark. I know we've been we've been talking about – Brian in the offense for a long, long time. People probably want to hear about the rest of the team, but that that would be my major takeaway is just how dependent they are on on Cade. The last thing I'll say about his response, because I could talk about it, because I thought there was a lot there actually, but by his avoidance of it to a certain extent. But the other word that stuck out to me was possessing the football. Our job is to possess the football. Your job's not to score points. Your job is to possess the football. Okay, in certain game situations, but job number one of the offense is to score points. You don't score points, you, well, unless you play with an Iowa defense that may score some points for you, you're not going to win if you don't score points. 
That's yeah. the number one goal of any offense to score points. Right. Number one, until there's a game situation in which you need to possess the football uh, because you've got a 20 point lead in the fourth quarter. Okay, fine. Uh, but up until then, it's to score points, not possess the football. I know. So, so the thought process is, oh, third and one, we take a shot, we got a punt, and we're not going to be possessing the football then because we won't go for it on fourth down. His, I, I can't really speak to exact things that he said, but he also gave the indication that, and I can't back this up statistically, It's I, I could look it up, uh, but that... Iowa's propensity to go for it on fourth down is less than it should be because of the way they play complementary football. Yeah. It's funny. I was talking to somebody. Um, I was talking to somebody after that whole interaction. They said the same thing. Like the number one goal is to score points. So you can talk in circles about how, well, we got to do this before we can do this before we can do this. But the number one goal is to score points. So it's, it's, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Um, but see, I, here's the other thing, Mark. I've, I've concluded in the past when I've heard Brian talk, and I talked to Brian briefly last year, but I only really get to chat with him once or twice a year. I talked to him after the South Dakota State game last year on Zoom. But when I hear him interact with other media people, sometimes I do think, you know, he's just kind of filibustering because I don't think he wants to have to answer these questions. And he keeps talking about how simple the game of football is and yet he's giving the longest answers of anybody that we talk to. And I, 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 at times I've thought he's just, he's just spewing stuff because he doesn't want to have to be here. He doesn't want to have to be open with the media, but then you watch him on game day and we've been watching this offense. And basically what he says is consistent with what they do. That's the problem. Like he talks about this. It'd be one thing if he said, we don't really look at waist downs and then they're chucking the ball on running flea flickers on second and two deep down the field to Seth Anderson. Now, if they do that this fall, boy, I'm back on the Brian train, Mark. <laughs> until I see that, I have seen a pattern of behavior, as we all have, that makes me question a lot of things as it relates to play calling. And that's why I thought this – look, the second question I asked him was more than relevant. And it was – you know, regarding – does he – because anybody who's new at a job or at a – lacks experience you better be willing to rely on other people right um and especially when you're talking about being an offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach he could have even brought up Ken O'Keefe like how hard would it have been to say that what what backlash would he have gotten for saying you know I really relied on Ken O'Keefe a lot he's really taught me a lot what would have been wrong with saying that there's nothing wrong with saying that nothing wrong he could have said John Budmeyer but he didn't say anybody and I just I again whether it's pride or whether it's just stubbornness i don't know but it is what it is it wasn't interesting it, it created good conversation i didn't ex i didn't go into that conversation with expecting to have these conversations afterward but you ask two questions and it ends up being a six minute video uh, you're going to get that i guess there was a question in the chat that i'm sure would be your favorite question i can't find it here but somebody asked if i was ranked because I know that's extremely important to you, especially yeah. at this point in the season. Let's change the subject for a second to the fact that they got ranked 25th in the AP poll and they're 26th. So they're unranked. No, yeah, they're, they're unranked. They're, they're not totally, 26th. They're just unranked. They're unranked in the coaches' poll, but ranked in the AP poll. Big line in the sand. No, I, I, I wish they weren't. But as I said to you before, 
they'll be ranked in the coaches poll after week one. I mean, they will. It's very likely they will because they'll likely beat Utah State. And because of how the, the voters look at these things, including, I guess, the coaches who don't have time to watch all these games, they're just going to bump you up a level because you didn't lose to someone. I didn't fully grasp or realize, and I admit to this, to the fallacy in ranked versus unranked to the degree that it's even stupid to say any team is unranked unless they have zero votes. They all have votes. <laughs> we could say they're 26th, they're 27th, they're 28th, all the way down to 41st. They're 41st. Because right. there's no difference in the voting but the everybody voting, else after that is in the same group. And the they, points is there. So there's no difference 25th and 26th versus 14th and 15th. And, and there's no difference between 45th and 125th. Yeah. Right. They're all unranked. Okay. Let's get to another matter at hand that may be a surprise to some people in regards to planning their Saturday afternoons watching Iowa football this year, and uh, you caught this from Brett McMurphy today that he tweeted out the Big Ten schedule um, and, and some of the games that will appear on Peacock. So here we have it. And you would assume, I would assume, I all stated that way, that there's obviously a hierarchy to these networks and how much money they pay for the games and therefore. Um, and the the exposure to an audience. So we know that CBS, NBC, and Fox in some order have the highest priority games. And I believe Fox still has that distinction of having the highest priority game. And CBS is going to show that 3.30 Eastern game. And then NBC's got the primetime game. And obviously the Big Ten Network will show the lesser games. But there's also Peacock involved, which I got to think that very few of us have ever watched anything on Peacock, but there are substantial Big Ten games going to be shown on Peacock, and I was un unaware of this as well, and two of them involve Iowa. <laughs> so, so this, yeah, this is not going to make people very happy, right? So we knew that Peacock was a part of the new TV deal that uh, was worked out with the Big Ten and these different networks. What I didn't realize, because I, and I guess that's because I didn't study the contract and the agreement when it was first released. What I did not realize was that there are exclusive there there are games that are exclusively on Peacock. My I was under the impression that football games would be multicast, simulcast on Peacock and NBC, uh, and then in basketball there would be women's basketball games and men's basketball games exclusively on Peacock. And so maybe that just means I was totally ignorant, but it doesn't sound like you really realize that either, Mark. Brett says, uh, again, looking at this schedule, what he's reporting is that Iowa, Michigan State from Kinnick on September 30th will be Peacock in the, in the mid-afternoon. And then uh, the game at Wrigley, Iowa Northwestern mid-afternoon will be on Peacock. Now, here's the only thing I question, Mark. Um, and again, maybe it's, this is probably out there and I just... I've never really gotten intrigued enough by these TV deals and you know realignment and all this stuff to really dig into this. But it, could this be there are going to be games exclusively on Peacock in 2023 only because there are less CBS slots due to the SEC's contract continuing with CBS for one more year? That could be it. Uh, because think about it, folks. 
ESPN broadcast a lot of Big Ten games. I know that everyone tied the Big Ten to Fox because of the primary, the number one selection each week. But ESPN, between ESPN, ESPN2, and ABC, showed a lot of Big Ten games. I can think of a lot of Ohio State games on ABC last year. So a lot of I would I would say on the average Saturday that those three networks would show three Big Ten games. They would each show an average of one Big Ten game. So you're taking away the ESPN number of networks that would scarf up a lot of these games, and you're left with Fox, CBS, and NBC, which are going to be showing, and this isn't even all the time. This would be most of the time that Fox would take the number one game in the Big Ten is its noon selection, noon Eastern time. However, there will be, I would say, 20% of the time that a Big 12 game would garner more attention by Fox and they would grab that game. But most of the time, it's going to be a Big Ten game. CBS is going to have the 330 slot and NBC in primetime. And if the Big Ten network with 14 teams playing, and this is during the conference season, each playing each other, you've got a total of seven games, so you get seven time slots. And if you've got Fox, CBS, and NBC, and then you've got a triple header on the Big Ten Network, that's six games, so you've got one left over. Bingo. It's on Peacock. Now, the next step for me would be assuming, before I thought it through a little bit, and you name some of these matchups, well, Peacock's going to show the worst game. They're going to kick the worst game to Peacock. No... I guarantee you Maryland at Ohio State October no. 7th is not the worst game on. I mean, that's exactly. that's a good, solid game. Yes, it was a really good game. That was uh, the highest rated game on ABC for that particular week when they played last year, and it was a really good game. Um, there, I, guarantee, I guarantee you, Mark, I, again, not looking at the ratings. I, you've looked at these ratings. Iowa usually is very high in those ratings. Yeah, I, I am going to say off the top of my head, and I, I ran a series on TV ratings that Ohio State and Michigan just had sure, just incredible ratings. Then after that, uh, p- between Penn State and Iowa and, and maybe Wisconsin had the best TV ratings in the in the conference. Yes. And then there was a significant drop off. And I just I was surprised by Iowa Northwestern at Wrigley Field. But, but see, again, this is it. it. It's not necessarily the worst. Illinois, Maryland, I doubt if that's the worst game. Uh, Ohio State, because of the eyeballs they bring, in a sense, from a TV perspective, is never the worst game. It could be the worst game on the field. Um, but they are... And Purdue were two of the three best yeah. two of the three best teams in the West last year. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to start to analyze the, the the numbers versus the quality of the teams. But anyway, uh, they are setting this up. So Peacock is a draw. You know, it's not going to be Northwestern and Rutgers and, and those teams every week, Indiana on Peacock every week. They want to pull people to Peacock. And, and as far as I'm with, so I saw somebody in the chat say, well, isn't Peacock, isn't there a free version of Peacock? There is, last I knew, but I don't believe these are going to be shown. I could be wrong on that. Maybe I'm totally wrong on that, but I, I'm guessing that these are going to be subscription-only games. And for the people that cry about, well, oh, I have to pay some money. First of all, it's a three-month season. If you got two games, two different months, okay, you may have to pay 20 bucks. That's not my issue. My only issue is for the older people. And I am, believe me, I'm not some crutchety old guy who 
cries about having to download apps and oh you know my fart smart my smartphone's smarter than I or smarter than I am, whatever. No, I'm not that way. But what I do acknowledge is there are a lot of older fans that aren't even gonna know how to download Peacock. That's my other thing. Like I, I got a grandmother out in California who well, she's kind of a surrogate grandmother out in California. She has no idea what she's she's not gonna be able to get Peacock. So she's just gonna have to not watch the game. Because she doesn't know what she's doing as it relates to these things. Yeah. That's just reality. So that's an issue. People's lack of technical knowledge to to get the streaming device and the service. But it's also just a matter of convenience, meaning that when you watch all your college football on a TV set, you are flipping to channels. That's your only device you're dealing with. Oh, well, if... I want to see this game at noon and it's on television. Then I need to see the three 30 or the two 30 central time game. And it's on a streaming device. And then somebody else is playing later and it's on a different streaming device. Well, I got to subscribe to this and I got to subscribe to that. And I got to subscribe to this over here and I got to have. No, people are not. <laughs> there are a lot of people that won't do that. I know they'll watch what they'll either stop watching some college football or they'll just watch whatever games on. They'll just leave ESPN or Fox on all day and watch. So again, to, to make clear what I brought up earlier, and I think you kind of alluded to it too. 2023 is a transition year for CBS. So they get, they still have a contract with SEC, the SEC. So 2023 overlaps with the two conferences next year, the SEC contract with CBS will be null and void. It'll be gone. They'll shift over to the ESPN family networks um, exclusively. Uh, well, I think is, is that an exclusive deal with ESPN, Mark? I think it is. Yes. Disney. So they'll shift over there and the Big Ten will have basically exclusive rights to, to um, CBS. So my point is this year, there are going to be SEC games filling slots that next year and beyond Big Ten games will fill. So that means there. Now, I asked you the question before we went live. If you're NBC and you're CBS, like those, they have other net. Like, wouldn't it be great for CBS Sports Network to throw, you know, Iowa Northwestern on? Like CBS, yeah. nobody watches. Nobody watches CBS Sports Network. And let me tell you nobody watches NBC Sports Network. But those are channels of if people are still on cable or satellite, they have those channels in their their sports packages. But as you said, if this is, we're, we're transitioning to where we're trying to get people to sign up and subscribe, I don't know how they reason on these things. I think eventually we're probably going to be streaming everything anyways. I don't know what the reasoning is on, okay, should we go with a smaller network like a Fox Sports 1 or should we go with something like uh, whatever uh, Fox is? They have, a, they have a streaming service too, don't they? You know what I'm saying, or, or CBS, CBS Sports Network, or should we go Paramount Plus? I don't, I don't know what the the uh, infrastructure looks like and and the technicalities, the money, how that all works out. And, and what you're also, I think, speaking to, and maybe you said this, and I didn't quite catch it in that is we we know that there are a certain amount of people that would be more apt to yeah just switch on their cable or satellite and find a game an Iowa game in this instance on CBS SportsNet versus downloading an app signing up yeah. for a subscription on stream but we do know also that 
that group that's in the latter category of subscribing and doing streaming, that is growing. And the other one is shrinking. Now, yes. the former group is still probably quite larger than the other. The other issue with the sports, uh, CBS Sportsnet, I'm going to guess, is they show college football all day on Saturday. And yeah, again, they play, they play crap football nobody, all day Saturday. Well, they play you know, UMass and they play the Minutemen versus yes, I, Iowa is going to be playing one of those teams that they show on a regular basis the first week of the season, <laughs> Utah State. They play yeah, a, yeah. it's a lot of Mountain West and it's a lot of lower end American Conference, Conference USA, et cetera. A lot of group of five with a lot of Mountain West involved. Okay. Uh, based on their contracts with those conferences, maybe they don't have any time slot. Maybe they've committed all that time to those other conferences. Yeah, so I don't know the legalities and all that stuff, but wouldn't it make sense if you have the Minutemen of UMass taking on the Miners of UTEP, right? If you got those two teams playing on CBS Sports mid-afternoon, maybe, sure. move, maybe move them over to Peacock? If they are able to do that. Yeah, you're, I, you're mixing peacocks at NBC platform. I'm sorry, and CBS I'm sorry. I no, no, that's not what I meant. I'm, I'm sorry. If if I'm, I'm using peacock because we're talking about peacock, but I'm saying moving forward, if CBS Sports has UTEP and UMass, maybe move maybe move them to Paramount Plus, and because that's all CBS umbrella. That's what I'm saying. You're right, Chris. What's wrong with Massachusetts? Corey is picking on Massachusetts football. Well, they, they've been. Ter they're terrible. They've been terrible for quite yes. a long time, Mark. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, yeah. Uh, our guy, Tony Altimore, is working on a formula. I believe it's it's finished. And with, with other TV-oriented industry people have worked out a formula. And I'm going to test this out for week one. And we're going to do a show okay. where basically he says that 87% of each TV rating is determined by three factors. Number one, what network it's on. So if you took UMass and UTEP and put them on Fox noon, the rating would for for that for them would be astronomical compared to what they would normally draw somewhere sure. else. Sure. There's a certain amount of people that just they flip on Fox at at noon Eastern time every Saturday and that's what they're watching regardless. Right. right. Um, so, so a part of the formula is that just where is the game? If it's on a major network, people are going to watch it regardless of what game it is. Number two, it's the ranked, the ranking of the teams that goes into your ranking business right there that people just know, oh, this is number seven and number 14. I'm going to watch this game. Uh, and number three is the historic relevance of the brand. You know, if Texas is down, but it's Texas, they're still going to draw big audiences. Yeah. Well, uh, so just real quick, I want to. There are games on NBC Sports Network too. It's not like they don't show college football games. They do. So uh, let's. I guess we. I don't know why we brought. I, I brought up CBS Sports Network and Paramount Plus, but there are games on NBC Sports Network. Who gets televised on that network, Mark? Notre Dame. No, no, no. NBC oh, Sports Network. I have no idea. But there are games there. So, yeah, like I said, I whatever know. games are there, uh, this obviously isn't as simple as I'm making it out to be. That's the whole point. Uh, on Saturday afternoon, until streaming really takes over, I've I've been able to be satisfied with 
Fox, FS1, ABC, ESPN, ESPN2, ESPNU, the SEC Network, the Pac-12 Network, the ACC Network, CBS. By the time I get to all those networks, I'm I got plenty of games on. So on a different on a different uh, note, I'm guessing that this 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 whole new TV deal means the end of the Big Ten Network alternate regional alternate network. Maybe not. I don't think so. What? What? what did it appears I think that way to be needed. Why would that be needed? What would it be needed for? For non-conference? Yeah, fourteen games. Okay. Well, but the 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 fourteen games per week. But I mean, they're not all. They're not going to fall into the Big Ten umbrella necessarily. True. Iowa, Iowa State has not fallen into the Big Ten umbrella this year with it being at Jack Trice. True. So I, I don't most know. Most of them I, will. Most of them yeah. will be played. Okay. Yeah. Say eleven of fourteen would be my guess. Most of the time, something in that range. Yeah. So. I guess gear up. I, 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 this is a report from Breck McMurphy. Nothing's been announced because when it would, it will be, people will be, uh, when more people see this news, even though it was out there and we knew there was a possibility of this happening, there are going to be people who are upset. I believe we were taken off guard similar to the upper echelon teams in the big 10 about what, two months ago when it was announced and they came to the realization that they would have to play night games in November on NBC. Remember that uproar? (laughs) Yes, I do. Uh, That's um, yeah. If if, if you're Michigan, you're shocked that NBC is going to want to show you in November in primetime. Like you thought that was, all those games were going elsewhere. I just checked the, uh, I just checked this official schedule. Yeah. None of those, none of the Peacock games have been officially announced. Um, what we do know officially, not counting what Brett McMurphy's reporting. We do know that game one is on FS one. We know that game two against Iowa state's Fox game three against Western Michigan's big 10 network game four against Penn state's CBS. Um, and then the last game of the season against Nebraska's CBS on Black Friday. Besides that, none of the other ones have officially been announced. So if this report is true, then two of those games are Peacock, and my guess is the other ones we may not know until I, I would be I'm surprised that if this is true, why that even be why would that even need to be released at this point? Why wouldn't these I, I guess there's always games that don't get announced until the week prior. But wouldn't you want to see where Iowa and Michigan State are by September 30th? Wouldn't you want to see where what Iowa's playing for before November yes. 4th? Yes. So that surprises me a little yeah. bit that these are already apparently set. You know what I think is hilarious is that CBS's first Big Ten game that is going to be shown on CBS since, I believe, 1986. The first... Big Ten game on CBS. Do you know what game it is? It's not West Virginia Penn State because that's something to see. Week one. Uh, yeah. Week one. No, I don't have no idea. It's actually on. Well, I'm I'm sorry. Oh, it wait. may technically not be the first game. Is it Illinois? Um, it's Illinois a. It's playing. a. Is it a pretty non non uh, 
Yeah, I bring it up because of this. Actually, it may not be the first game. The first game's on Saturday, I would think, unless there's a SEC game. I'd have to look this up. But there's a there's a Sunday game because, of course, on Labor Day weekend, we've got football from Thursday night all the way through Monday night. There's a noon game on Sunday with, with, no, with no NFL games. There's a noon Big Ten game on the first Sunday of the season. I didn't even realize that. Rutgers and Northwestern. <laughs> they really pulled out the big guns. <laughs> you know how I that? found that out? I found that out because Gary Danielson, Todd Blackledge, and Joel Klatt each represented their networks and were introducing the coaches. So when Gary Danielson took the podium and they each let everyone know, this is the first game that I'm assigned to first Big Ten game in week one. Gary Danielson said CBS noon Eastern time Sunday Northwestern Rutgers. <laughs> Gary Danielson has been calling nothing but the game of the week in the SEC for 15 years. And his first <laughs> assignment is Northwestern and Rutgers. He's going to think he dropped to the high school ranks or something. Well, I'll say this. Uh, so is that the week? Is that the week prior to the start of the NFL season? Yes. Okay, so that's that's why they can get away with it. That's yeah. a good. I mean, I, I have no problem with filling with having Big Ten games on Sunday that first week. Why not? Let's oh, I think it's great. I, I think it's great for college football to to utilize that one week where they're in yeah. action before. And and frankly, week zero, you could do the same thing week zero if you got more teams involved. Week zero, I know a lot of coaches don't want to have to play week zero. I think Kirkwood. I. I I almost guarantee you Kirk would object to that if if you if his one of his teams was ever asked to play week zero. Um, so anyways. Yeah, so on let's see, of course the Big Ten openers, Nebraska, Minnesota on Thursday night. Michigan State plays on a Friday against Central Michigan. And then on Saturday, the myriad of games, including Iowa playing on FS1 at noon Eastern, 11 Central against Utah State. And then, yes, here on Sunday. This is great that there's a triple header of college football on Sunday. And they're all oh, good set. games. They're all, they're, I should say, hold on. They're all the potential to be competitive games, every one of them. Yeah, they, they do. Yeah, they, they do. And, of course, the last game is a marquee matchup. But Oregon State at San, San Jose State is going to – what was San Jose State last year? What were they last year? I think they were like six and seven. Okay. maybe they're, so they I, might, I might be wrong on that. It is on the they, road. They were really good a couple of years ago. They won the Mountain West, right, but right, they right. did not last year. Okay. but We're going to have to do a big breakdown on Utah State, by the way, here in a couple of weeks. We have how many more shows before the game? Two. Two. Two more? Okay. Yeah, two, weeks from today, two weeks from today will be game week. Okay. And by the way, uh, Oregon State fans better get used to seeing San Jose. Better get used to trips down to San Jose State. This <laughs> <Yes. laughs> <laughs> is oh. the reality of it. <laughs> now, if we've got any Oregon State fans on the chat, I'm going to apologize for Corey because they're probably not seeing this as comedic as you are. I know. <laughs> All right, everyone. Great stuff here at the Voice of College Football, another Iowa show in the books. Tell your friends to get here next Tuesday at 4.30 Central. We would love to continue to build this uh, audience. We have about 160 in the chat today, so we're getting 
revved up for the season. Of course, your regular stops at uh, from the Hawkeye of the Storm with Corey. So get on over there, check out uh, what Corey has available. Mark, real Any- quick, before, before we end the show, yep. yeah, we just do one thing. And I apologize, people, that they say, "Hey, you didn't talk about Kids Day enough for Media Day." I spent a lot of time talking about that during the show with Tom Kakert over at Hawkeye Report Podcast and during live show Hawkeye Hangout Saturday. So people want to go listen to that, they can. But I was just going to say, before we go off, can we real quickly take a look at the Week Zero schedule? And I mean the complete FBS Week Zero schedule. Because yes, we're, do you, we realize that next week is game week for these for these teams? Yeah, <laughs> there, there are two big teams playing. Let's see here. We'll get there. Not Elon. Okay. Notre Dame and USC will be in action next Saturday, the 26th. This is what I am hoping, and I know that it's not going to happen, and I rarely care who announces these games, but that 7 o'clock UMass, you took your shot at UMass, but they are the primetime game on ESPN in week zero against uh, New Mexico State. <laughs> against New Mexico State. Against the team. I I had forgotten that they played each other week zero, and I, I did bring those two teams up. So If I'm ESPN, I'm getting Fowler and Herb Street out to that game. Saturday well, look, primetime game. I did not know anything about the CBS schedule, but notice how UMass plays New Mexico State, and then what's the early game on CBS Sports Network? UTEP and Jacksonville State. <laughs> this is great. I, I can't wait from 2.30 until midnight. I'm I'm all in. Because I will never watch any of these other teams outside of USC and Notre Dame. I will not watch them the rest of the season. There will be no reason. I just won't have time to watch these other teams. So I get to see. We talked about this recently. It's kind of like bowl season. There are teams that you never get a chance to see that you can watch in week zero. And how about that for uh, a schedule? Uh, San Jose State plays in week zero at USC. And the very next week, they play on a Sunday hosting Oregon State. Yeah, that's a tough start. That is an extremely difficult. They scheduled two Pac-12 teams, one of which one of which at home, one of, the, one of which is on the road. I that's interesting. I don't. I don't have Pac-12 network. Well, maybe I do have Pac-12 networks. I stream everything, anyways, Mark. So, um, really, yeah, I'm not kidding. I don't have cat. See, that's the thing. Like, I'm not complaining from my own perspective. I'm not gonna have problems watching games, but it's just, I just think of the, the Iowa fan at large. Are you gonna stay up late for Florida International and Louisiana Tech? Week, yes, week absolutely. Zero? I will be. So you're not going to do a post-game show? You're not going to get on and do a... Uh, I guess I should. So I'll probably miss that, and I'll do a post-game show. I guess. After USC. After USC, right? After USC, sure. After they get upset by San Jose State (laughs) 44-41. The shocker of week one. The best game, the most competitive game, most likely on that board is going to be Ohio and San Diego State. That could be a really good game. Can I ask you real quick, Mark? Uh, was the the loss to Tulane this past year at what in the Cotton Bowl was not USC's worst loss of all time? No, but it. But if they lost to San Jose State Week Zero, would that not be the worst back to back games in the history of the Trojans? 
Losing to Tulane. You you get to separate the name brand at Tulane as a group of five versus how good the team was last year. They were one of the 15 best teams in the country last year. 20 years from now, 20 years from now, if you told your kids, hey, I remember the day when, or the the two week stretch where uh, USC lost to Tulane and San Jose State back to back. (laughs) All the kids, oh my goodness, Dad. Anyways. USC lost to Fresno State at the beginning of the Pete Carroll era, and that was um, a real downer. But those were good. Those that was the start of a pretty good stretch for Fresno, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Those were good Fresno State teams. And, and Pete Carroll was obviously straightening things out and did it quickly. Yeah. All right, folks. Next Tuesday, uh, bring some of your family, friends, whoever loves college football, Iowa in particular to partake and we'll take you on through the season again, right here at the voice of college football with Corey each and every Tuesday, but get on over to from the Hawkeye of the storm for your daily dose of Iowa football coverage. All right, Corey, uh, we're counting down the days and we'll get back together next week. Sounds good, Mark. Thanks.